Uh, The reading this evening is Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. His loves, right, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Sikhan, thank you for reading for us. Um, Welcome back. If you've been away over Christmas, we're really glad that you've been able to rejoin us. Um, I had a good chance to get away and see family, and I trust that you had uh, time to to rest. Uh, We're going to, if you remember, all the way back to December, um, we began a series in the book of Daniel. We got to chapter 6 in the book of Daniel. And then we took a break for the Christmas carol services. We're going to return to Daniel in a few weeks' time. We're going to hit chapter 7 and finish the book. Um, But between that series, we thought it would be helpful for us uh, to spend a few weeks just looking at uh, hope. That's our topic um, as we begin uh, this new year. We've got three Sunday evenings, and we're going to look at a different psalm each Sunday evening uh, to teach us about hope. Now, we often use the word hope simply just as a substitute for the word wish. Uh, So uh, we might say, well, look, I hope I get my top grades in my exams. Or I hope that Leeds will sign a central midfielder in their transfer window. Or I hope my exercise video helps me to lose the Christmas calories. Now, we're using the word hope there, but of course we mean the word wish. We mean, look, I really want this to happen. I wish it would happen. But it might not. And in fact, at least in the last one, there's a fairly good chance that it won't. So the use of this word in this way, it's a kind of optimism, isn't it? It's a a longing. It's 
something kind of a, a kind of I wish it would happen, a sort of fingers crossed ism. But there's uncertainty to it, isn't there? We don't know if it's going to happen, and we suspect that it might not. We really want it to, but we just don't know how it will turn out. We hope it will. That's one way that we use the word. The other way that we use the word hope is to describe an emotion. We can either feel hopeful or hopeless, despairing. And the Bible would recognize that emotion as legitimate. Uh, Psalm 42, which we're going to look at next time, that will really help us to address how we, how we handle those kinds of feelings. But where our feeling of hopefulness may fluctuate with the situation of our lives, the Bible seeks to assure the believer that there is for us a kind of hope that is so deep and fixed and sure, so certain that when our circumstances may lead us to despair, this hope will drag our hearts through it into this kind of steady joy. Christian hope is not mere wishfulness or optimism. That's too uncertain. And it's not merely positive emotion, though that is part of our experience. It's stronger than that. That's what it's not. Well, what is it? Well, hope is a part of faith. And it's the part of faith that focuses on the future. So one phrase that I came across which I thought was helpful is it speaks of hope as faith in the future tense. It's a confident expectation that God's promises to us will be kept in the future. That's Christian hope. We confidently and joyfully expect God will keep his promises. And why can we be so sure that he'll do that? Well, because of his character, because of his proven faithfulness. Now, if we have that kind of hope, that sure, certain hope, well, that will really make a difference uh, to each day. And my guess is that for many of us, as we begin the new year, we really do need to focus on hope. We need to hear about hope. We're so easily weighed down by knowledge of our sins or by our worries, or our health concerns, or just by the state of the world as we look out the window, or perhaps just by ongoing weariness or disappointment. We so often feel that the outlook is bleak. And perhaps that's us here this evening, perhaps that's you here this evening, just struggling to see, well, what hope is there really? It's likely that there will be some here tonight who are despairing at this time. Or perhaps there will be many of us who are walking alongside someone who is despairing at this time. And so we need to pray as we, as we unpack these psalms together, we're going to pray now, that we will discover this real, joyful, certain hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And not only that we'll discover what it is, but that we'll learn how to continue to put our trust in him and how we'll be able to help others to hope in him as well. So let's pray as we begin. Our Father, we know that there are many in this world and perhaps many here this evening 
who feel very hopeless, who are in despair. We know that there have been times that we've felt that way ourselves, and there may well be times where we feel that way in the future. And so, Lord, we pray as we begin to look at the idea of hope in, your, in the Scriptures, that you would teach us what it is, that you'd help us to find our hope in you, and that you'd help us too to be able to put each other uh, towards the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So over the three series, we're going to see three different things. We're going to see where to place our hope. That's this week, Psalm 33. We're going to see how to place our hope, Psalm 42. And then we're going to see when to place our hope, which is Psalm 71. So that's the series. We're going to look at Psalm 33 together. Now, if you've got the service sheet, on the back of the sheet is just an outline um, for the psalm. I think you'll find it particularly helpful to see that uh, this evening. If you want to make notes, please do. Uh, but it just gives us the structure of the psalm, which will really help us to understand it. So psalm 33 is a psalm that leads us into hope. It teaches us where to place our hope. The psalm shows us that actually we can be led into hope. Now, if you're not familiar with the psalms, the psalms are, are really the songbook of Israel, God's people, and they're meant for use in worship services like this one. Now, the key to understanding this particular psalm is that it's bracketed by a call to worship by, a, by an individual, verses 1 to 3, and then a response from the congregation at the end of the psalm in verses 20 to 22. Just have a look down, see if you can see that. So verses 1 to 3, first of all, we hear the service leader speaking to the congregation. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now, I'm not sure that Scott had a 10-string instrument this evening, just a six-string, I think. But what's happening is the service leader is calling the congregation to worship. All those who love the Lord, he says, be loud, be musical, be joyful, and sing songs of praise. That's the beginning of the psalm. That's the call to worship. Now, look at the end of the psalm, verse 20. This is the congregation's response to what they've heard in verse 20 to 22. It becomes a plural response. See the word our there at the beginning of verse 20. They sing together. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. So here's the result of the psalm. This is where they get to at the end. The people of God can say together, we wait, that is the same word that's translated hope in verse 22, our soul waits for the Lord or hopes in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He will guard us, he'll help us. Whatever comes along, we patiently wait for him and we find our souls at ease. Why? Why? 
Well, verse 21, the four there. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. See, we're joyful in him. Our heart is glad in him. We trust in his holy name that is in his faithful character. Then a final prayer, verse 22, they ask for the Lord's love to rest upon them, to strengthen them as they place their hope in him. This is where we end up at the end of the psalm. We can have this kind of love strengthened, joy enhanced, patient hope in the Lord. We can end up in real hope. Hope that brings peace and security to our souls, that brings joy and gladness to our hearts, that reassures us in each moment that the Lord's love is upon us. And if we get all that, if we can sing that really and truly from our hearts, then, well, the future, whatever comes, well, we can face it, can't we? And don't we need that kind of hope? Won't we need that kind of hope for the future? Well, how do we get it? Well, logically, it would, it would follow that the way that the psalm is structured, that whatever's in between the call at the beginning to worship and this response at the end is what will lead us there, is what will get us this kind of hope. We can be led into hope by what we hear. And so the psalm gives three reasons. They come from the centre of the psalm, verse 4 to 19. If you want this experience of hope, it's not found by wishful thinking. It's not found by whipping up emotion. You can be led there by rational thinking, and in particular by thinking on the Lord, the hopes in him. That's what the central part of the psalm gives us. You may have noticed it was read through. The Lord is the focus of every single verse. We find three reasons for real hope, and they're all about the character of our God as the creator, and then the ruler, and then the saviour. So here are the reasons. Verse 4 to 7, reason 1. His word is faithful. Now this first section, I think it's a little surprising for us. Um, there's much in our news about what's wrong with the natural world, isn't there, at the moment? There's lots you can see. We prayed for some of it tonight. There are viruses and floods and storms and huge snowfall in Pakistan and famines. And those things, they're not new. Ancient people, of course, they knew those things too. But the psalmist wants us to consider something else about the natural world. Now, the reformer John Calvin, in his commentary on the Psalms, he puts it like this. He said that the author of this psalm wants us to fix in our minds the certainty of God's providence in the continual order of nature. To fix in our minds the certainty of God's providence, his way of providing for humanity, in the continual order of nature. Let me show you what that is in verses uh, four to seven. For the word of the Lord is upright, 
and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. So he reminds us that God's created the universe out of nothing by his good word. But more than that, the creation account, it tells us that he, as he spoke, he step by step brought the chaotic elements of the universe into order. He arranged it, and he arranged it just so. He ordered it so that human life would flourish. And not only that, but he sustains it just so as well. He keeps it in its place. It speaks of his faithfulness. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. It testifies to it. And so the psalmist is encouraging us then to look at the order of creation and let it tell us of the steadfast love of the Lord in providing for humanity. In particular, he draws us our attention to two parts of the universe, to what's above and to what's below, to the stars and the seas. He says that these are the evidence of God's good word of providence for us, in verse 6 and 7. So just think about it for a moment. If the planets were misaligned, if their orbits were not consistent as they are, well, we know that life would end. If the sun shifted position, even just a fraction, or if another star moved too close, then the seasons would be ruined, the crops would fail, the earth would either overheat or become a cold wasteland. We'd either be ice or toast. The fact that it doesn't, the fact that the universe stays as consistent as it is, the psalmist says, is testimony to the faithfulness of God towards humanity. That's the stars. Then he says, well, look at the seas. See, the Bible's creation account, it it describes the waters as covering the entire face of the earth. That's Genesis chapter 1, the very first verses of the Bible. And then what the Lord does is he draws together the waters and brings them down and then holds it steady in the deep oceans that we see. That's what verse 7 is describing. Now, the fact that gravity works consistently is really good for us, isn't it? Can you imagine what a mess it would be in if it fluctuated or if it just disappeared one day? That the fact that there's a stable sea level is just a really good thing. The fact that the water cycle works as well as it does, that's just wonderful, isn't it? Now, we know that there will be natural scientific explanations for these things. The psalmist isn't denying that. He's explaining why it works this way. Why there are these things in place. And the Bible's claim is that God is sustaining the universe in the consistent steadiness that we see by the command of his word. And he does that because he's faithful and because he's full of love for humanity. That he's consistently providing for our needs in this way. 
Now, perhaps even more incredibly, when we get to the New Testament, the Lord is identified for us. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that the Lord of these verses is none other than God the Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 verse 3, The Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's what it's saying, but why does that give us cause for hope? That's where the psalm ends. If we end in hope, why does this lead us there? Well, I think it's because of what we see on our news. Because nature seems so often out to get us, because of the fall of humanity and and the mess that we've made on our universe, we see natural threats all around us, don't we? We see the, the, the danger that there is from our world's. And that worries us. It worries us for the future, doesn't it? But if we know this good God, if we come to trust him and and realize that he's not only the creator of all things, but the sustainer of all things, that he's holding it all together, if we come to know that he's consistently doing good to us in this way, and he has been since creation, since the beginning... Well, unseen, yeah, but unappreciated, certainly, but consistently faithful to humanity. That gives us this certain hope that he's going to continue to do so, no matter what goes on. That's reason number one, his word is faithful, particularly his word that sustains the world. Okay, that's the, hard, that's the hardest one, I think, for, for us to, to work on. They get us slightly easier from here. Reason number two, verse 8 to 12, his plans stand forever. Now, in verse 8, the shift of focus changes a little bit. It begins to, um, to focus now, draw our attention to the Lord's relationship with humanity. So as the creator, he's also the ruler of humanity, and that makes sense. You know, you design a product, for example, you write the instructions, well, you get to say how it should work. You're the ruler. Verse 8 to 9 remind us that that should be the case with this world that God created, and therefore he should rule, and we should give him uh, the, the honor that he's due. We should stand in awe of him. But the problem is we haven't. We've rebelled against him. We've lived as if we're the creators and not the creatures, We've made our own plans to live our own way without God and made quite the mess of things in doing so. We're the big threat to ourselves. What is it that that most blocks our future? What is it that most kills our hope, that gets in the way of the good things that we want, the good things that we desire? Well, it's me. It's us. We're what's wrong with the world by our selfishness, and our lust and our greed and our desires to take and grasp for ourselves, we destroy ourselves and each other. But here it is. Over the foolish politics of the nations and over the wickedness of individuals, the Christian hope is grounded in this truth that the Lord rules over all. Verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. 
the plans of his heart to all generations. He's not going to let us go all the way into our own self-destruction. He's directing the course of history to restrict our foolishness. The empires rise and they're brought down and the plans of wicked men are brought to nothing in the end. He never lets history out of his grip. And that's really good news. And it's a real hope, isn't it, for us? It's a real hope for us when we see trouble brewing in Kazakhstan, when we see Russia and China squaring off. It's a real hope for us when the elections and referendums in our own country go the way we don't think they should. We can trust him in all that, for he rules. It's his plan that will come to pass, not the plans of human beings. And that gives us real hope for the future. But in particular, the psalmist wants us to be really clear that the way in which he does the greatest good to humanity, the centre of his plan that he wants to achieve, is this, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. It's the church upon which he set his heart and for which he works all things. He's chosen us. And therefore, no matter how messy the international scene becomes or how wicked humanity turns out to be, we can have real hope that he's in control. He's not only creator and sustainer, he's ruler also. And his great plan is to make us, his people, safe in him. So he rules, and his plans come to pass. That's reason number two. But the psalm doesn't sort of break up reasons, kind of cuts them into pieces like this. It flows from one to another. And that thought, it leads the psalmist into the final reason for hope, which is verse 13 to 19. Reason number three. His salvation is sure. So, we've seen the threat of the natural world to our future and the threat of human beings. And our hope in God stands strong in the face of those things because he's both creator of the universe and ruler over history. But we all know that there's one big threat to our future. It's the big threat that stands behind all the others, the threat of death. And not just that, but death under the just judgment of God. Let's look at these next verses, verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the, heart of them, the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. These are not comforting words. Nothing escapes his gaze. All is laid bare before him, even the secret sins of every heart. 
And so what follows, verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue Our sin is so great, and the Lord, having seen it all to the deep recesses of our hearts, well, that means that we have no hope for salvation from death and judgment. It's coming for all of us. It's the dark shadow of our future. It's the great hope killer. The most powerful forces of this earth can't save us from it, no army. No strong warrior, no weapon can help us against the wrath of God against us. There seems to be no salvation, no deliverance, no rescue from death. And therefore, no hope. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, I do wonder how you reconcile the prospect of death in your mind. It seems as a culture we're we're doing our best to avoid the horror of thinking about it. We want to block it out. We want to pretend that it's either not that bad or even that it's not going to happen. But it's just there all the same. It just sort of hovers there in the background, doesn't it? And does it not put an end to all our hope? I mean, be honest, if hope is all about the future about how things might turn out, then aren't all our hopes futile if death is the end of us all? But the Christian has hope even beyond the great hope killer. Just look at verse 18. Behold, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Had several funerals over the last few weeks. There's a couple more coming this week. I've yet to have been to a funeral in in Scotland um, since we've moved here. Uh, my experience has been in Anglican funerals, mainly in, the, in England. I don't know if it's the same, but in the, in the traditional Anglican burial service, at the moment of committal, where the, where the body is um, lowered into the grave, when that person is a believer in the Lord Jesus, these are the words that are said. They're wonderful words. Unto Almighty God, we commend the soul of our brother departed, And we commit his body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Familiar words. And if you watch a TV show, they always do that part on on the funeral. It's very sober, isn't it? Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And if that's where it stopped, that would be where hope ended. But it doesn't end there. Here's what it says. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in sure and certain hope of the resurrection unto eternal life 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Now, how can we be sure and certain about that? Well, the psalmist tells us that it is because the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death. That is, our hope is grounded in the love of the Lord that he cares for those who trust in Jesus Christ, who trust in Christ who died for their sins who paid the penalty they deserve and who rose to new life that he may share it with them. If you believe in this Jesus, then you can gain a hope that even outlasts the grave. Well, let's come back to where we began. Do you have a real hope for the future? Do you have a hope that will get you through the dangers of nature, will get you through the turmoils of political upheaval and the wickedness of humanity? And do you have a hope that gets you through the grave? Because that's Christian hope. Because that hope is grounded in the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator, the ruler and the Saviour. His word is faithful. His plans stand forever. And his salvation is sure. Trust in him and this love-strengthened, joy-enhanced, patient hope in the Lord can be yours. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again and reigns over all things. We thank you that when we trust in him, we do have real certain hope. And we pray, Lord God, that you would make this real to us tonight, that as we come with all our various circumstances and situations, we would learn to place our hope in him and rejoice in all he has done for us. In his name, amen.